Do you need help protecting your finances as you enter retirement? David Dickens of KC Financial Advisors has got you covered. Welcome to the Cover Your Assets KC podcast. Hey, welcome to another edition of Cover Your Assets KC. I'm Walter alongside David Dickens, President Wealth Advisor at KC Financial Advisors. David, we're going to try and pay attention to the conversation today. Listener questions, one of our favorite kinds of shows here on Cover Your Assets KC. But I know that your focus is a little bit on what's happening this coming weekend, a couple days after the release of this episode. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And how about that? What a good time to be a Chiefs fan. Yeah. Because we've just, had some crummy times to be a Chiefs not fan. Not just this year, but you guys have been raking it in the last couple of yeah. years. This is great. Yeah, so. three out of the last four. And so who knows, you know, but do, I'm do you expecting think to see get a good the job game. Done? Yeah, hopefully they'll get her done this year, so okay. that'd be cool. Yeah, are you making any predictions? Do you think the are they going to do it? Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. good. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't you, think the what, Eagles what else you going to say if you're a Kansas City guy? <laughs> the the Eagles haven't uh, you know, they haven't faced a really good quarterback that they've had to beat this season. That's actually what I'm thinking. And the last 2 weeks to get to the Super Bowl, that hadn't been anything for them. So, who knows. Mm-hmm. But I think Patrick has probably and and Andy Reid probably have a few things up their sleeve. Yep. And I guess we're all going to find out on Sunday afternoon. I think that the Chiefs are battle tested and I think Mahomes hasn't been 100% in the playoffs since picking up that little injury, but now he's had 2 weeks to get things to clear out a little bit. I think he's going to be primed and ready. We got I, some I like receivers the back. One. I mean, who knows what could happen. Yeah. It'll be, I think it'll be a good game. I, I I do hope that's all I really ever hope for in the Super Bowl, right? Let's just not have a blowout. So <laughs> exactly, fingers crossed for that. But I, I'll be on board rooting for the Chiefs alongside you this time around, David. So. I love to hear that, Walter. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, I know that uh, probably our uh, questions from our listeners today are they're good ones. I know that, and I know they're probably all rooting for the Chiefs this weekend as well. So let's make it a super show leading into <laughs> Super Bowl weekend. Uh, if you'd wow. like to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can do that. That online at coveryourassetskc.com or email David, and we'll put this in the uh, description of today's show, ddickens at kcfa.com. We've got four good ones today. The first one's from Emily David, and Emily says, I'm 60 and probably retiring in five to six years. Should I start converting as much of my IRA to Roth as I can? So, Emily, that's a really good question. I get this a lot in my office. Um, so, really, the only deciding factor whether you're 60 or whether you're 45 or 75, really the only deciding factor when you're trying to figure out whether you should convert IRA money to Roth money is will my tax rate in the future, in retirement in your case, will my tax rate be higher or lower than it is today? And if it's going to be higher, then you should convert this is not advice for you, Emily, because I don't know your situation. But you should convert all the money that gets you up to filling up that tax bracket, which is going to be equal to the higher tax bracket you're going to be in the future. If you're going to be in the same tax bracket in the future, but you're convinced that Congress is going to have to raise taxes to get rid of this $31 trillion of debt, then there's a good reason to do Roth conversions now. But if you're going to be in a lower tax bracket, once you retire, then there's no need to convert because you'll pull money out of your IRA at a cheaper rate than 
you would be converting at today. So don't forget, what you're all you're doing when you're doing a Roth conversion is you're paying taxes today that you would otherwise owe in the future. And then all growth and distributions in the future from the Roth are tax free. So Emily, for many people that I talk to, your window of doing a Roth conversion at a lower tax bracket than in the future is a lot of times not in your final years of working because typically our salaries, our earnings go up and up and up until we retire. And a lot of times your last two or three or four years of, of earnings are your highest earnings. And that may or may not be you, but your window is usually not in those final years of work, but your best window for Roth conversions oftentimes is in your early years of retirement before required minimum distributions start. And at this point, that's age 73. Very good. That's an excellent question, Emily. Thanks for sending that one in. Do you answer this question a lot for somebody who's in their 60s versus maybe somebody in their 30s or 40s, David? Does, does, that, uh, does age play a big factor here? It plays a huge factor. The, the one opportunity that somebody in their 30s or 40s might have is if they take a sabbatical year or they, they leave the workforce to go back to school, and all of a sudden they've got a nice little 401k that they had at another place, and now they've got a year or two where they're not really earning anything, man, that is a sweet time to do a, a Roth conversion because you're paying 10 or 12% on the money that at some point in the future, you're very likely to be paying a lot higher tax rate than that. So there's always little quirky situations, but generally speaking, the time to do that would be, you know, in your mid to late 60s, once you've retired, but you haven't ramped up your retirement income because maybe you're de you're delaying Social Security or you haven't started required minimum distributions. All Lots right. of opportunities, uh, but you just got to make sure that the timing is right for you and your situation. Very cool. Thanks again for the question, Emily. Uh, sparked some good conversation there. Uh, we've got one here from Michael. Michael says, I inherited some money from my mom when she passed away last year, and I just got a letter telling me that I have to withdraw some money from the account this year. What's that all about? I thought I didn't have to do that until I'm in my 70s. He must be referring to those, uh, those RMDs, right? Exactly. Those pesky RMDs with an inherited IRA. So... <laughs> The, the rules have gotten pretty complicated uh, just in the last couple of years. So here's what it looks like for you. If your mother was taking required minimum distributions at the time of her death, then you must do two things. You have to take an annual distribution based on your age. So there's a different, it'll be a slightly lower percentage, but you have to take an annual distribution and you have to have the account cleaned out by the end of the 10th year following her death. Now, if she wasn't yet taking required minimum distributions, then you don't need to take any money out annually out of that account, but you still have to have the account cleaned out by the end of the 10th year. So the, the most recent tax rule change made it that you, Michael, won't be able to extend that to, um, to do a stretch IRA all the way to your life expectancy. They've changed that so that you ha still have to have it cleaned out within 10 years. And then the twist on you is whether you have to take a required distribution out each year. If she was, you do. If she wasn't, you don't. The takeaway for me here seems anything inherited might get treated 
quite differently than if it was just you in the picture, whether it be this specific instance Michael's talking about or some other inherited dollars or asset. Just be aware that it might be treated very different than if it was just all yours to begin with. Absolutely. And the rules are, so if Michael had had inherited that IRA from his wife, I, I assume Michael is a guy, but I don't, I don't know that for sure. But he, if if Michael had inherited that from his spouse, then he could roll it into his own and 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 take those out over his lifetime. But since it was from his parent or a non-spouse, there are so many rules around this. I, I just encourage you, Michael, get some really good advice. This is a bad area to be a not very good do-it-yourselfer. If you're a really good do-it-yourselfer, do it yourself. But a little bit of advice can go a long way with goofing these things up. And um, just so you get started on the right track, then you'll get into a rhythm over those next 10 years and you'll be fine. Perhaps this is just a new spelling of Michelle, and I didn't pick up on that. (laughs) (laughs) But no, great great question, Michael. That's a good one. Appreciate that. Again, if you've got questions for David, you can call and set up a time to visit if you want to kind of work one-on-one on your situation, which people often do. 913-317-1414 is that number if you're curious. 913-317-1414 or online at coveryourassetskc.com. And there's contact info in the description of today's show so you can find it easily. Let's get to a question from Jacob. Jacob says, I'm interested in buying a rental property for some additional retirement income. Which of these options is better? Should I cash out investments and pay cash for the property? Should I take out a home equity loan to raise the cash? Or should I just have a mortgage on the rental property? Okay, so Jacob, you've asked a a complex question, and I'm going to try to give you some pointers and some things to think about here uh, without giving you a specific answer because I don't know your situation. But one of the biggest benefits of owning rental real estate is the leverage that you get from that transaction, or in other words, borrowing to own. So I'm give you a specific example here in just a minute, but you ask about three different situations. So one would be to, let's say you're borrowing, you're, you're going to buy a $500,000 duplex. So you could sell $500,000 of stocks and bonds that you have. Hopefully if, if it's in an IRA, you definitely wouldn't do that because that would be a taxable transaction. But let's, you had a, let's say you had a brokerage account that had $500,000 of stocks and bonds in it. You could do that and then you'd have no mortgage. I don't know of a home equity line of credit that you could, or a home equity loan where the lender will lend you money on your house to buy rental real estate. It might exist, but the ones I'm familiar with, that's one of the things that they preclude you from doing with the money. So that was the second thing you asked. The third thing was maybe I should just get a mortgage. So in that case, what you do is sell, say, $100,000 of your investments. You'd get a $400,000 mortgage. And then you'd get to expense that interest when you do your taxes each year. So there are significant benefits, I think, from getting that mortgage and leaving a lot of your money invested in those stocks and bonds you'd otherwise have sold. So I started the answer by saying that leverage is one of the biggest benefits of owning real estate. And here's what I mean. In in case that's not obvious to you, here's what I mean. You have a $500,000 duplex. And let's say that over the next five years, that increases in value to 600 grand. So you've made 100 grand. In the first instance where you said, maybe I'll just sell the $500,000 worth of stocks and bonds and have no mortgage. Well, if you did that, your 500,000 would have grown to 600,000. And that's about a 20% gain 
over that five-year period. Not too bad. But in the third instance you mentioned where you're going to get a mortgage, in that case, you only put $100,000 of money into this real estate. And it went from a value of $500,000 to $600,000. Well, you've got a $100,000 gain on the $100,000 you put into the property. Well, that's a 100% gain because you've still had the 400000 invested in the stocks and bonds that you didn't sell because you got a mortgage. The leverage is awesome when the value is going up and it's not so good when the value is going down. Or if the money you left in the market, that 400 grand, let's say you buy some horrible stocks or maybe the market goes down dramatically. Well, so there's risk in any of these investments that you use. But Jacob, the path that I think you should most, that you take a really hard look at is keeping a lot of that money already invested into that brokerage account taking some out as your down payment for the for the property and getting a mortgage on it. So good luck to you. I think that you can, as long as you, you buy right and you buy a property that, you know, is in a good location at a good price, uh, that you're able to manage all the loose ends of owning rental property, it can be a really valuable investment for you. And I just say good luck to you on that. A lot of moving parts in that question. Uh, definitely one uh, that's just a great way to highlight it and say if you've got a lot of moving parts in your situation, um, it's even more of a reason to make sure that you're making wise choices and meeting with somebody who can give you good guidance on those kinds of things. So, Jacob, definitely consider coming in meeting one-on-one -on -one with David so you can go into some more details on your specific situation. But thanks for the food for thought on that question, David. Very helpful. Uh, again, 913-317-1414, the number to call if you want to talk one-on-one -on -one with David or go online to coveryourassetskc.com. All right, last question for today's episode comes to us from Olivia. And Olivia says, my income will be different once I retire in a few months, so I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do about taxes. Should I be making estimated payments every quarter? How do I know how much I should be paying since I'll be in a different tax bracket than I've been in in the past? So Olivia, well, first of all, congratulations on your upcoming retirement. That's pretty cool. In a year or two, this will all seem real easy to you. And it'll all, hopefully, it'll all kind of start taking care of itself. But what I'll tell you right up front is, with my experience on with myself and with my retired clients is, paying quarterly taxes is a hassle. And they can be easy to forget. So if you can structure your financial life such that you don't have to pay quarterlies, I think you're you're going to be better off. So once you retire, you can set up your income such that you have taxes withheld from each payment, whether that's social security income, maybe you're getting a pension, even your IRA withdrawals from you know TD Ameritrade or Schwab or whoever you have your money with. They'll withhold taxes before they send you your money each, say, each month, just like your employer did. And at that point, you're able to calibrate the amount being withheld such that you probably won't have to make quarterly estimated payments. The, the times when you might have to is if you have large amounts of interest income or dividend income that are outside of your IRA, 401k, 403b holdings. So, you know, after your first year of, re of retiring, whether it's a partial or a full year, you'll have a pretty good idea of 
what your income will be in the following year. Your CPA, if you're do-it-yourselfer, a little trickier, but not, not a horrible um, what-if calculation. But your CPA, your, your tax preparer, whoever, they can give you a really good estimate as to what your next year's income is going to be and what your next year's tax liability is going to be and how to structure that withholding such that you are not messing around with quarterlies. So, Olivia, enjoy your retirement. I hope it's everything you think it's going to be. Uh, and with a, just a little bit of, of forethought, you can structure your income such that you're not messing around with quarterly payments. Yeah, that's great. And uh, uh, as one who has paid quarterly taxes before, David, they are indeed, as you said, uh, was the word annoying or frustrating <laughs> or <laughs> whatever it is? All of the above. Yeah, I think I might have used with. the hassle word. but Hassle, the, yes. Yes. Yeah. If you can avoid them, I'd say structure your life so that you're not messing with them. Yep. That's uh, that's what I did. After a couple of years, I said, enough of this. I'm just going to find a way to have this automatically happen and try to do that math. And um, I'd rather get the refund. I know the goal is to hit zero at, when you file your taxes, David, but I'd rather overestimate <laughs> and hit zero than have to pay a big bill by underdoing some of those quarterlies at the end of, uh, end of tax season. So. That's uh, that my, my philosophy, at least. Again, like less less friction, right? Like that's a, a good lesson. There's there's the financially savvy way to do it, and then there's the way that's still financially savvy but just feels better. And that that's one of those examples, I think. Yeah, that's maybe this is where the phrase "life is too short" comes in. But you know, sometimes sometimes your quality of life is more important than picking up the pennies, doing things that oh, if I just did it a little bit differently, I'd make an extra ten bucks. Honestly, over the course of a year, 10 or 20 or 50 bucks, it just doesn't enjoy your life. Mm. <laughs> Set your life up such that my, my philosophy of life is, as you, many things you can get on autopilot, as long as they're not a significant financial disadvantage to you, put those things on autopilot so you get a chance to spend time with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, with your grandkids, whatever you do. But quality of life takes a lot of precedent uh, especially when you've worked your tail off for years and years and years. I'm not interested. I'm not going to be working that hard when I retire, um, picking up the pennies to make sure that I have every cent working for me. Not worth it. Very cool. That I think we need to amend the old saying, don't sweat the small stuff, to <laughs> don't sweat the small stuff and automate it <laughs> while, exactly. while, while you're at it. And uh, whether it comes to savings, paying taxes, all that kind of stuff, don't let that take up your mental capacity anymore. Spend your time on more important things. So really good question there, Olivia. Uh, you sparked some, some deep thought there. And uh, thanks to all of our question askers today. Every couple of episodes, we drop in some listener questions like this. And if you'd like to ask David your questions, whether you want it featured on the show or not, feel free to reach out. Don't be scared. You can email David at ddickens at kcfa.com. Go online to cover your assets, kc.com, or give a call to the phone number 913-317-1414. David, thank you so much for the help on the episode today. Go Chiefs, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, man, let's just be talking about the big Chiefs victory next time we talk, Walter. You got it. I love it. Hey, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time right back here on Cover Your Assets, KC. Investment advisory services offered through ChangePath LLC, a registered investment advisor. ChangePath LLC and KC Financial Advisors are separate companies.